Our reading today comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're reading from verse 14 to verse 19, and that can be found on page 995 of the Church Bibles, and it will appear on the screen as well. Let me pray as we read that. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you speak to us by your spirit through it. So we pray that as we gather around it now, uh, you would open our eyes to see you, uh, that you'd open our ears to hear what you have to say, and by your spirit, you would open our hearts to, to receive your word, Lord. Lord, where there are areas of our lives that we uh, need addressed, Lord, would you address them? Uh, where there are uh, moments that where we need your comfort, would we know your comfort? Where we need your encouragement, would we know your encouragement today? We pray that your spirit would be at work in our time now. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul writes, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will, it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Well, I wonder if you are someone who spends time uh, reading reviews before you commit to something. Uh, whether it's a restaurant you're maybe thinking of visiting or a film that you're about to watch or something you're about to purchase on Amazon, you can be pretty sure that there will be plenty of reviews uh, available to help you make your decision. And these days, churches are no exception. When it comes to choosing a church, it's not unusual now to find reviews about the style of worship or the strength of the coffee or the warmth of the welcome. Uh, and perhaps unsurprisingly, those reviews will often comment on the quality of the preaching. Uh, I wonder, uh, and this is uh, maybe a bit dangerous for somebody in my position, I wonder if you were to write a, a Google review about the preaching at this church, what would you say? How would you know if it's on the right track or if it's off beam? How can you tell if it's helpful or unhelpful? What is it that you should be looking for in a sermon? Now, some might say that that's just down to individual preference. Uh, these days, you can listen to any preacher you like online, and, and some might have a style that you prefer over another, uh, the way they communicate, the, the length of time that they speak for, the, the subject matters that they address, the way that their preaching makes you feel. 
all of those ingredients can play a part in whether or not you think you are hearing good preaching. But how do you know? How can you be sure? Well, that's the focus of the passage that we're looking at today. Here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul instructs Timothy on his preaching. He warns him what to avoid, and he calls him to be diligent in his task. And the overwhelming sense from these verses is how critical it is that faithful preaching is at the heart of the life of the church. In fact, what is communicated is the difference between life and death in the church. And that's because words have immense power, don't they? We know that to be true in a general sense. We see the way that, that words are used in our world. Words build up. They can tear down. They have the power to inspire movements and the power to start wars. Words are powerful. But when it comes to God's word, there is a deeper power at work. Throughout this letter, we've seen Paul call Timothy to be faithful to the word of God, to not be ashamed of the gospel, but to, to suffer, enduring suffering in the power of God, by the power of God. And Paul was someone who had seen the power of God at work through his word. Last week we saw how Paul was, was willing to endure the, the suffering that he was enduring for that word. And the knowledge that even though he was bound by chains deep in a Roman dungeon, the word of God was not bound. Such was its power that more and more lives were being transformed by the message even while Paul was stuck in prison. The gospel is a message to be shared. It's a word that when rightly communicated is incredibly powerful. It has the power to transform lives for eternity as God's spirit works through it. And we only need to look at the life of the church over the past 2,000 years to see the power of that word at work, to, to see evidence of what Paul says, that the word of God is not bound. Today, over 2 billion people on our planet call themselves followers of Jesus. And that has happened because the word of God has been faithfully communicated, transforming lives. Now, last week we saw Paul close out with a trustworthy saying where he assured Timothy that for those who have put their trust in Jesus, the penalty for their sin has been paid for, death has been defeated, and the sure and certain hope of eternal life has been secured. In the passage that we're looking at today, Paul begins by urging Timothy, verse 14, to remind his hearers of these things. Timothy is to remind them of what Paul has said so far about the great truths of the gospel message. It says God's people remember the truths of the gospel as they remember Jesus Christ, that God strengthens us by his spirit to endure whatever suffering comes our way. But Paul doesn't end simply with a call to focus on what he's already said. He issues a warning for Timothy to pass on. A warning of what happens 
when the word of God is wrongly communicated. Just as faithful preaching brings life, unfaithful preaching brings death to the church. And that's what Paul warns about in this passage. If you look with me at verse 14, he says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. So Paul's first warning here is about the danger of engaging in fruitless discussion. That phrase, quarrel about words, it means something like splitting hairs. Uh, he's talking there about the kinds of arguments uh, uh, that are trivial matters in the grand scheme of things. Now, you only need to, to read through Paul's letters to see that he was someone who wasn't afraid of debate. He was someone who sought to be clear on all manner of aspects of the Christian faith. He wasn't afraid to, to dig down into the minutiae of what Christians believe. But he's warning here against the kind of attitude that is spoiling for a fight, that is looking for something to quarrel about, to divide over. He's talking about someone who is searching out some obscure speculation and then making it a big deal, where whatever their hobby horse might be becomes the focus of the message instead of the gospel. And that quarreling about words, Paul says, it does no good, but only ruins the hearers. When someone is intent on making a, a non-gospel issue, a test of faithfulness, what it does is it leads their hearers away from the main thing. They lose sight of the life-giving message of Jesus Christ and become consumed with a different message, with different priorities. A message that, because it's not the gospel, has no inherent life to it. And so it leads to ruining those who listen. And so Paul's instruction to Timothy and those he teaches is to not get caught up in all that. To not spend time in fruitless debates. When someone's got genuine questions and is keen to understand the gospel, then by all means engage. But when someone is spoiling for a fight and wants to make a big deal about some obscure interpretation, don't get caught up in it. Don't waste your time. Don't make it your focus because it will lead to ruin. So he warns against fruitless discussion. And then verse 16, he raises another thing to look out for when it comes to dangerous preaching. He says there, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Now, what Paul's talking about here is different to what he's warned against in verse 14. The kind of teaching that he's warning against in verse 16, it's a bit more sophisticated. It's not quite so easy to spot the error with this second form of teaching. Irreverent babble is teaching that leads people in a certain direction away from the truth. It's a gradual direction of travel down a different path away from the path of the gospel. Paul makes the point that it will lead people to more and more ungodliness. 
It might begin as something subtle, but over time it leads them further and further and further away from Jesus. But it doesn't lead them to life. It's like gangrene. It stinks of death. And it can affect anyone. Paul highlights two church leaders who had adopted this kind of teaching, verse 17. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth. So two church leaders who had previously held to the truth were now teaching a message that was contrary to the truth, a message that was false. These two figures, they were obviously well-known to Timothy. Presumably, they were well-known Bible teachers in the church, but they had swerved from the truth. They had turned away from teaching the gospel. They'd been infected by the gangrenous teaching, and now they were leading others astray. Specifically, they'd begun saying, verse 18, that the resurrection has already happened. Hymenaeus and Philetus were teaching that the benefits of the resurrection, specifically an end to suffering, they were available now. That persecution and, and hardship shouldn't be the experience of the Christian. That if you were being faithful, then you shouldn't suffer. It was an extremely attractive message, but it was false. They'd taken the future promises of the resurrection and they had collapsed them into the present. They'd used biblical terms, but had reinterpreted them into a false message, a message that was appealing to their hearers, but gave false security. Irreverent babble in the church is extremely dangerous. It leads to death. But clearly from what we learn in these verses, it can lead even Bible teachers astray. So how do we spot it? Well, first of all, to state the obvious, irreverent babble is irreverent. It doesn't approach God as he's meant to be approached. It doesn't approach him with reverence, with awe, in humility. Instead, it approaches God in an effort to undermine him. With that, what might be called the, the did God really say question? It's a question that's asked not out of genuine inquiry, but with an effort to undermine truths that God has clearly revealed in his word. Now that question, did God really say? It's a question that ought to be familiar to us because it's a question that actually appears right back at the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. It's the question that is asked by the serpent in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 as he questions God's word in an effort to get Eve to eat the fruit from the tree. And when God is approached like that in the teaching of his word, when clear biblical truth is questioned in such a way as to undermine it, then that ought to be a red flag for us. Uh, we also need to be aware of the way that biblical terms are reinterpreted. 
by false teachers. That was the case with Hymenaeus and Philetus. They'd reinterpreted the resurrection to mean something that God had not said it meant in his word. They had twisted God's word. Again, we go back to the garden. In Genesis chapter 3, that's exactly what the serpent did. We read in Genesis 3 verse 1, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Well, no, God didn't say that. In fact, God said something quite different. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, we read, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God said, he didn't say, you can't eat of any tree. He said, you can eat of every tree except one. So the serpent used God's words, but subtly twisted them to completely misrepresent God. And that's exactly what's going on with false teaching. Biblical terms are used. Verses are quoted. But subtle tweaks are made to convey a very different message. And that's why it is so, so important uh, as we listen to God's word being taught that we seek to test what we're hearing against what it actually says. And we look to sit under preaching where the teacher is putting in the hard work of rightly handling the word of truth. Paul urges Timothy, verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. What comes across loud and clear in Paul's exhortation is that teaching the Bible is a huge responsibility. We've seen that Timothy was facing opposition from those inside the church who were challenging his message. But Paul urges him to remember that the most important person that Timothy will preach to is ultimately God himself. One day, Timothy would stand before God to give an account of his teaching. On that day, Paul's desire for him is that he wouldn't be ashamed of how he went about it or what he said. And that same exhortation applies to all God's teachers ever since. Whatever anyone else thinks of what's being taught, those who minister are to recognize that ultimately it's God's approval that matters most. And if our desire is to please God, then there is no more motivation that we should need to put in the hard work of preparation. It's not a case of jotting down a few thoughts on a, on a Saturday night and then shooting from the hip on a Sunday morning. It takes time and thought and effort on the part of the teacher to make sure that they are communicating God's word faithfully and clearly. That phrase, rightly handling, it comes from the Greek word orthos, which means straight. So Paul is urging Timothy to give it to his hearers straight, to communicate God's word plainly and clearly 
without going off track like the false teachers. That means that what matters most is not how poetic or academic a sermon is or how entertaining and engaging the illustrations might be. What matters is that God's word has been faithfully and clearly taught. Uh, When we came to plant this church and we were thinking about how we were going to go about it, one absolute non-negotiable was that priority would be given to the task of preaching God's word. So my priority every week above everything else is to put in the work to do my best to rightly handle the word of truth. Hours are given to trying to rightly handle the word of truth. Why? Because when God's word is faithfully taught, God's spirit works in the hearts of those who hear it, convicting us of sin, assuring us of his grace to us in Jesus Christ, comforting us in times of sadness, reminding us of his steadfast love and faithfulness, and preparing us for the day that we will finally meet him face to face. And then Paul closes out this section by quoting two verses that reveal the future prospects for those two types of teachers that we've seen in this passage and the prospects for those who listen to them. If you look with me at verse 19. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now the first quote comes from the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 16, and it applies to the false teachers and those who listen to them. It describes an event in the history of Israel where Korah led a rebellion against Moses in an effort to take over the priesthood. In response, Moses told Korah that God knew who were his. And he would reveal that to the people. And that's exactly what God did. He vindicated Moses and he judged Korah and those who were part of his rebellion. And Paul is saying that at the time of judgment, God knows those who are his. That it will be those who are faithful to Jesus Christ who will be vindicated those who've believed the message of the gospel, the word of truth, those who've put their trust in Jesus as the one who forgives their sin and saves them. And those false teachers who've rebelled, even if their message gains them popularity for a while, one day they will face the judgment of God. You see, the thing about Hymenaeus and Philetus is that they believed what they were teaching. They thought they were in the right. And so did those who followed them. But like Korah, when God's judgment came, they got a nasty shock. They discovered that in fact, they had denied Jesus. And he would deny them, just as Paul says in, that pas- in the verses just before this passage. Maybe there are aspects of false teaching that you've been swayed by. Maybe you have a few of those did God really say questions. 
when it comes to bits of God's word that you don't like? Questions asked, not out of genuine inquiry, but because you're consciously denying God's word at certain points. But maybe you think you're all right, that God will welcome you when the time comes. Well, the example of Korah here is a warning. If you're denying Jesus now, he will deny you when the time comes. And then that second quote is a message to the church in Ephesus, and it's a message to every church since. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Paul calls the Ephesians, and he calls us to be faithful to our profession, to depart from iniquity. And the good news is that anyone who truly calls Jesus their Lord, well, they will heed that call. They will depart from iniquity. When error is pointed out, when, when someone comes under conviction of sin as God's word is taught, the true believer, they will submit to Jesus' lordship. They'll seek to live obediently. They'll look to bring their lives in line with his word. And that call goes for those who teach as well. One day, I will stand before God and I'll give an account for what I've taught you. And on that day, I don't want to be ashamed. Uh, and that means that I need to keep trying my best to rightly handle the word of truth. And even when there are errors in, in, in what I teach, when those are pointed out, I need to depart from them and make sure that what I'm teaching is faithful. Because I don't want you to be in any doubt about the hope that there is in Jesus, about what your response to him ought to be, and about how you can look forward to that final day confident in the knowledge that if you've put your hope in Jesus Christ, then the Lord knows that you are his. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through it. Lord, we thank you that it is powerful to shape us and change us. It is powerful to give life. So we pray, Lord God, that we would have confidence in your truth. That where there are areas of our lives that we need to, to bring our lives in line with what your word says, Lord, would you convict us of those things and would you, would you bring us uh, to to submit to those things and, and to be faithful. Lord, where we need to be reminded of your grace and your mercy, Lord, would you remind us of those things as well. Lord, we pray that this would be a church where, where your word is rightly handled, where we encourage one another in your truth, where we build one another up, where we seek to be faithful to you. Lord, ultimately, that is where life is. As we lift up the name of Jesus, as we remember who he is and what he has done, how he has paid the price for our sin so that we might have forgiveness and eternal life 
so that we might know that when we stand before you, you know who are yours. Lord, as we come now to remember Jesus' death, as we take bread and wine, we pray that you would strengthen our faith by your Spirit, that you would remind us again of the grace that you've poured out upon us in Jesus Christ, of your love and your kindness and your mercy to us in him. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.